So, Scott, have you got your bootstraps on? I have. Ready for a stroll? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. I've got my thick socks on as well. Let's go. In April 2016, UK Prime Minister Theresa May decided to call a snap general election, and it didn't quite pan out. Her lack of charisma, inept campaigning, and a resurgent opposition aside, dear old Wales has to take some blame for this, as May was holidaying in the Welsh mountains when she set course towards her inevitable demise. She said that walking there allows you to clear your mind and thinking. So join us to reflect on recent events as we too take a stroll in Snowdonia. This week, we're going to have another little stroll around beautiful Snowdonia. This week, we're going to tackle um, the Snoopers Charter. Um, then we're going to have a little look at buildings of notoriety. Ooh. Yeah, so like infamous buildings, you know, like murder buildings and that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, murder buildings. And then what happens afterwards once, uh, once get the dust has settled. Yeah, that sort of thing. And then uh, we'll have a little discussion, a bit of insight into women... Oh yeah, some women in particular who've not perhaps got the recognition they deserve. So we'll bring that up because it's been a uh, hundred years since the suffragette movement. This week, hooray! Hooray! Well done, suffragettes. Well done. Have you had a good week? I have had some really bad fruit experiences. Um, that got me thinking. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a I had a peach which had absolutely no right to call itself a peach. Uh, it was it was horrible. Do peaches call themselves peaches, or have we or called do them we peaches? call? Oh, yeah. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay, you got me thinking about that. Yeah. Um, I had a pear which was too ripe at the bottom and not ripe enough at the top. So he's having an identity crisis. <laughs> yeah. And I had an apple that I just took one bite out of. It was just a fluffy, furry mess, and I just threw it in the bin, disgusted. Right. So it got me thinking. That's quite a week. It got me, yeah, highlights, yeah. Um, it got me thinking because I've been reading this uh, fiction book about a, a, a guy, a young boy who talks about superpowers all the time. And I thought, you know what? If I were to be able to pick my own superpower, I would definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, pick the ability to tell the ripeness of fruit. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, it sounds quite low key. But think of the personal pleasure you get from it, knowing that every single fruit you you took a chomp out of would be blissfully ripe, you know, exactly as just, advertised. Just as you want it. Just as you want it. No disappointment, no devastation. The emotional kind of stability that I would get from that point would be fine. Not only that, I think you can make some serious wedge out of it. Like, how, how serious? <laughs> how, what's your business model? Probably, I'm glad you asked, Scott. So here's my plan. <laughs> yeah. Like, loiter around the fruit and veg aisle in Tesco on, on the weekend. Okay. Yeah. That's a strange start, but carry on. I, Just I think it's loitering fine. Yeah. around fresh there's, foods. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, say someone comes up, picks up a, an apple or a peach, say, or a pear, mm-hmm. and you just sort of go, oh, I wouldn't get that one if I were you, love. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look too good to me. And she's like, what are you talking about? Well, just maybe, maybe try this one and just sort of, you know, Maybe, maybe don't pick it up and put it in a basket. That seems a bit creepy. But just sort of nudge her in the direction of one that's definitely ripe. 
she'll she'll look at you weirdly, but she'll 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 take it. She'll walk away. She's got other things on her mind. She comes back next week. She's like, that pair was sublime. I cannot believe it. I've never had a pair that good before. What have you got for me this week? And I'm like, oh, I'm glad you asked. I've got this one. This one looks pretty good. That one over here. That peach is over there. If you're a peach person, that peach looks pretty good over there. Do you have to touch it or can you just tell by, by sight? Just, you just point. Oh, oh, me. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I kind of see it as a sort of a health meter, like a computer game sort of overlay. So it just hovers <laughs> like an augmented reality. It yeah. just hovers over oh, each piece of fruit. Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> like or or a guitar tuner, just sort of yeah, the center point is it. is right, and then overripe or underripe either side. Um, so that that would be cool. I mean, it might get in the way a little bit yeah. of your of your sight, but you could turn it on and off. It's super, you know. Why not? Oh god, the bloody the ripe guys here again. <laughs> Let's just go to another supermarket. <laughs> but eventually, you've got enough people like hooked. You know, it's like a drug, isn't it? And then you just. Suddenly, you just one day don't offer them any advice, and you're like, just hold your hand out silently. It's a bit of a slow burner as a money maker. Well, it's a slow burner, but I'm in this for the long haul. I think over the a period of a year or two, bar bar, unless unless I get thrown out of a supermarket by security, I reckon you could make tens of pounds. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's shocked you, hasn't it? It's. I'm speechless. <laughs> I have nothing to say to that. I don't think you can bet that. So I'm not going to try. Yeah, I'm not even going to ask you what yours would be. It's just not. It's not. It's not worth it. It's just as well because I wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't I, be able to top I, all, it. All superhero powers are, are a burden to me. Oh, okay. You name any of them, a burden. Invisibility. You think? Oh, I can go invisible. I could go anywhere. Do anything. I can't bother. I'm just saying, <laughs> that's exa- that's how I'd be anyway. I'd just be paranoid just that I'd get caught, regardless. I mean, if you're invisible, presumably you can still be like felt. So what if you like Sense trip over area, something, yeah. or someone trips over you, or something? Like, oh no, fly. I'm, I'm screwed. I think I get tired. You know, I'd running. love to fly, but I'm scared of heights. So that puts a bit of a downer on you that. You could fly low level, couldn't you? Yeah, but then what's the point? That's true. <laughs> what have you been doing this week? Um, I salvaged a chair from a skip. Right. So the uh, story that caught my eye this week was the appeal court ruling that the government's surveillance act is unlawful. Which was music to my ears. Why? Because you've got loads of dangerous material. Yeah. In case no one knows what I'm talking about, the Investigatory Powers Act, or aka Snoopers Charter, was brought in by this government to uh, help the police catch terrorists, essentially. But, um, That's a nice idea. Yeah, sounds good on paper. Mm. <clears throat> but the means are slightly more troubling. It requires that. Uh, internets or phone service providers store data on their customers for 12 months. So that's every website you visited, every email you've sent, every person you've messaged online or phoned. That data is all stored for 12 months. Now, the specifics of the data are kind of redacted, but the point is it it gives you a list of all websites, all communications, people you've talked to, etc. What if you put your browser into private mode? 
that won't help. You have to get a browser like Tor to do that kind of thing. Okay. Um, this data can be requested by police, uh, government agencies, um, whenever they want, basically. If they're trying to you know, do an investigation, they can just request this data of, of an ISP and they'll have to provide it. They can request that encryption is removed on that data should they wish to hack into someone's phone, perhaps. Uh, install some kind of malware that allows that data to be downloaded into the police's servers or something. And there's all kinds of like weird stuff that they can do in the name of catching terrorists or hardened criminals as they, <clears throat> you know, it's not just about terrorism, it's about hard crime and paedophilia. They make a big deal about that as well because that's all online. So this base, this this gives, you know, the police, GCHQ, MI5, just a completely unprecedented access to every civilian's internet history and telephone history basically and we all know that isps aren't particularly good at keeping our data safe you know talk talk had that massive breach only a couple of years ago if you remember that mm. they had to apologize for it profusely they lost loads of customers um not you not me You're i stuck with them me your talk talk wireless code <laughs> it's a fine wireless code yeah i mean mm. they're, they're right they're right but um you know, there's countless uh, incidents of big companies just getting breached, getting hacked. Uh, they don't have the security in place to deal with that kind of, to, to, to be trusted with that kind of information. Um, and there's other things such as police can now um, hack into journalists' phones and, and web records if they get a judicial sign-off, um, if, if, if that's in any way helpful for them. This is kind of just, just unprecedented levels it's very of power. dangerous amount of power. It's just a complete invasion of privacy. I mean, that's the that's the bottom line. That's the kind of reason that um, the court case was led by the Labour deputy leader Tom Watson. Interestingly, uh, with David Davis, and they brought this case in 2014 at, against an earlier um, in, incarnation of the act. David Davis then had to uh, recuse himself after he was. Elect and elected as the <laughs> Brexit secretary or whatever his title is, yeah. he sort of stepped down. You know, he was really against this. That surprises me. Yeah, it seems right up his Straza. Yeah, but apparently not. I mean, you know, not all Tories are the same. No, they're, all, true. they're all different. Ken Clark, for example. Exactly, Ken Clark's a decent guy. Hello, Ken. And that um, I can't remember her name. And and someone who was railing against the hard Brexiteers and earlier this Sudbury. week. So, yeah, that was it. So they uh, they won they won the case at the High Court and then the government appealed and the appeal was referred to the European Court of Justice. All sorts of toing and froing between all these various courts. But the upshot is the the um, the EU ruled in December uh, of 2016 that it was unlawful, and then that was then passed on to the UK Court of Appeals to resolve in terms of UK legislation, and that is the ruling that was announced last week. They said, legislation prescribing a general and indiscriminate retention of data exceeds the limits of what is necessary and cannot be justified within a democratic society. Mm. So I wonder what um, David Davis' view would be on that, that it was actually the, the EU who actually ended up getting some legislation that he didn't want to pass. Yeah. It's an interesting... Eventually overruled. What's he thinking? Yeah, I'd love to ask him. Mm. Shall we try? Should we try and get a quote from him by next time? We try. Should we write him a letter? Yeah, I'll t I'll tweet. I'll do better than that. I'll tweet him. If he doesn't reply, well, make it up. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> 
Yeah, the Home Office preemptively announced uh, safeguards in November 17 ahead of this ruling, thinking that they weren't going to win their appeal. So in a sense, um, Tom Watson got a victory because without his case getting as far as it did, they wouldn't they wouldn't have announced these safeguards. But but Watson says that they don't go far enough, so he's got his own sort of list of safeguards, and that's that's being uh, that's a whole separate case which is being heard by the European Court of Justice, I think, this month actually. So there's just a it's just a whole sort of confused mess of rulings and appeals and rulings being passed from the EU to the UK. But basically, it boils down to even if the ruling does uh, come in again that the UK is being unlawful, when we leave the EU, the the government can kind of do what it wants again. Mm. We, you know, we're going to rewrite all of our laws. Exactly, and this will be passed back in without fanfare. Mm. So. That's something to look forward to. One question mark is how did it get through in the first place? People were talking about Brexit at the time. This was like heavily in the in the Brexit debate, mm. and apparently the bill was sort of passed just before a parliamentary recess, so it was, it was kind of snuck in there before people were about to bugger off on holiday. And yeah. Labour, Labour, apparently a lot of Labour abstained from the vote. So, I mean, they should have voted against it. Yes, they should have done. <laughs> Diane, Diane Abbott, I, I saw quoted was sort of railing against it and saying it's a disgrace but yeah i just thought it's um it's an interesting one you know the the classic argument is if, you, if you've got nothing to hide then why wouldn't you allow why wouldn't you allow people to hold your data in the name of keeping the country safe which is what a lot of people would say so i don't mind i've got nothing to hide yeah it's not the point it's not the point you shouldn't be giving carte blanche to a government in any situation yeah um, yeah it's it's very easy to uh, give away our rights you know our right to protection is being compromised heavily with this mm-hmm. it's going to be incredibly hard to take back that right at a later date if things change circumstances change the government changes especially as more and more of our lives are lived online exactly the the cost of personal data is is rising through the roof yeah, i mean we staggering. are increasingly making silicon valley billions of dollars just mm. by us signing up to their services and them having information about us absolutely staggering you think about um uh items like amazon's alexa those sort of things yeah uh, essentially listening all the time yeah and using that data and selling that data like like your your internet browser is. Mm. Everything you're doing is being tracked by them. So yep. it's going to private companies and to the government. Mm. Who can't be trusted to keep all of this data safe. No, it's, it's a scary world. It is scary. I can't believe it's that people scary. voluntarily allow Amazon and Apple and all the other companies that have these speakers to listen in mm. to them all I, the time. I can only assume a lot of people just don't realise that's the case. They think it only listens when you say Alexa. Well, they've been fooled. They've been, they've been hoodwinked, hoodwinked, Scott. Mm, they have. So what's caught your attention of late, Scott? Chris, it's Buildings of Notoriety. Ooh. Yeah, Buildings of Infamy. Sounds Sites dramatic. Of, of horror. Oh, bloody hell. Mm. I'm not sure I'm ready for this. 
Well, strap yourself in, because we're going to talk about scary places. Okay. Okay. Let's do this. It's a a story that um, I picked up a few days ago, um, which is about Hamburg in North Germany. You may have heard of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, During the Third Reich, uh, the Gestapo HQ, the Stadthof, I think I've pronounced that wrongly, um, (laughs) in Hamburg was the HQ of the Hamburg Gestapo branch. And it was a building that was used for torture, interrogation, imprisonment, um, killings in some Generally some bad stuff. Yeah, and a sort of a holding pen as well f- for people who were eventually sent off to Auschwitz, etc. Mm-hmm. That building's been left in state for quite a long time, um, as was. Um, but it was recently sold, actually, to, to a private company called and this is this is like a bond type company i think this is quite quantum immobilium quantum Ooh. the quantum group that sounds actually that is from a bond film isn't the it quantum of quantum solace, of solace. Yeah. yeah so anyway the the quantum of solace have got involved with this building they've purchased it uh with the intention of uh, converting the building into flats um, nice and uh sort of a small shop what about all the ghosts spaces. about all the ghosts yeah but that's a that's a whole different topic. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have ghosts, you don't want Nazi ghosts. Do you? No. They've got to be near the top of ghosts. Well, presumably there won't be any Nazi ghosts because they there was the Nazis doing all the murdering. That's true. Yeah, there might be a couple. Yeah, be a couple just though, lying around, there? like yeah. insurgent ones or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you want to buy a flat in a in a former Gestapo HQ? I'm kind of torn by this idea. I think in many ways it seems incredibly disrespectful, mm. but. In another sense, it's sort of reclaiming that building, that land, for a greater good. So, actually, maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, okay. That's that's an interesting way of looking at it, like reclaiming it. Like, I'd quite like to reclaim the word queer to describe strange situations. I, I have reclaimed that. Mm. I often use the word queer. Yeah, I think queer is a nice way to describe yeah. something that's a strange or odd situation. Um Obviously, the, the building itself is... Uh, the fact that it's actually quite a uh, attractive building is irrelevant in this situation. Now, there's there's sort of an argument, and there, there's a precedent from... This is obviously a lot smaller scale. Um, for example, the house where Fred West lived, mm. um, Ian Brady, the Sowen murders as well. So sort of more domestic right. cases of, yeah. of murder. In, in all cases, the houses have been demolished. Right. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think these houses shouldn't be occupied again. I think they should be uh, memorialised. Yeah. Per- personally, um, the the developers have been uh, told by Hamburg City Council that they need to leave a concession for for a memorial. Okay. But as the plans have developed over the year, that that memorial has, as it's gone through different planning meetings has become smaller and smaller so the right. fact that it's now just a, a 75 square meter area I was, was going to say like just a plaque on the door and a plaque on the door oh okay <laughs> yeah, quite literally there is a plaque a plaque Good. on the door um, alright it's a lot different to the the Sower murders it's a place where uh, thousands of people were interrogated and tortured over the year um, this building to me should be left as a memorial or a museum I uh, uh, I recently went to Budapest right. um, and went to the House of Terror Museum, which was 
during the Third Reich era was the um, the Nazi sort of puppet states headquarters, and after that it was actually taken over by the um, the Communist Party of of uh, Hungary, and the, it's been very sensitively turned into a memorial to all the people who were victims of those two essentially terror campaigns. Okay. For, for me, that's the sort of thing that we should be seeing at these sort of buildings. I've been to Auschwitz. One of the uh, one of the most sounds wrong, but like one of the, the most impressive places I've ever been. In that, I don't think I've ever been anywhere that's left such a uh, a mark on me. Um, and I think as many people as they can should should try and get to Auschwitz. And I, I think with these sort of buildings, that's what we need to have these places to remind us what happened. It, you can't just turn it into a shop. Or flats. I don't think so. Right, okay. Yeah, I, I get that. I find it. I find these places... I've been to a few myself. I haven't been to any of those that you listed. Mm. But um, I've been to a... I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Um, I've been to the Hiroshima um, Peace Memorial Park. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I've also been to the genocide museum and the killing fields in cambodia wow. which is the most raw of all of those obviously the museums are kind of yeah just memorials essentially just yeah. modern kind of memorials but the killing fields and the um uh the the school that has now been what was it called security prison 21 tule tule slang i think you pronounce it okay. was a school where um a, a regime of pol pots housed captives and tortured them and then they took them off to the killing fields which were just a few miles away basically and it's just as it is it's just sort of they've turned it into a museum but it's very primitive you know mm-hmm. it's kind of barely touched and the killing fields are just fields with a sort of a nice memorial sort of obelisk almost in the center of them mm-hmm. but absolutely like chilling like the most raw kind of i just i i, I felt incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly moved after seeing those two things. It was like one of the most emotional, um, I, I don't want to say tourism experiences, because that kind of sounds a bit lighthearted, but you no, know what I mean? I know what of I all of those things that, that I've seen, that was the most hard hitting. Yeah. And so I can, I can take your point about you kind of need to not repurpose it for something that's completely removed from what it's known for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there, there's a balance to be had, isn't there? I mean, you wouldn't want to go to the killing fields and film they've built an industrial park over or the top a football of it or pitch anything. yeah or a matalan or something like that <laughs> it's <clears throat> you've got to remember these things because if you don't remember these things you repeat you know, those you things you repeat those things yeah. so I think that's that's what we need to take out of that so are they um, keeping the kind of core infrastructure the same they're just sort of or are they sort of tearing it down and completely starting again Do you no know they're that? keeping the, the structure of the building okay um it's, uh, it's not being demolished or anything. And that, I mean, in a way, that's it's I, still there. I still don't know how I feel about that actually, because that's 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 better in terms of uh, keeping the the memories and the and, and and that sort of stuff alive. But also, it makes it sort of really a quite a bit more sinister for the people that eventually will move in there. I don't think I'd want to live there. No, regardless of the ghost situation or not. <laughs> And you know you don't want Nazi ghosts. You don't want Nazi you don't want, ghosts. You don't want Nazis anywhere, but especially places they shouldn't be. Yeah, like um, in the afterlife. In well, which is where they should be, but not Nazi zombies as well. Nazi that's quite zombies. a that's quite a big thing there's in computer no, games at yeah, the moment, isn't it? Nazi, Nazi zombies, zombies everywhere. Yeah, 
You can't move for Nazi zombies these days. Uh, weird. It's a weird one, isn't it? The meeting of like a kind of pulpy, kind of dorky, kind of <laughs> science fiction genre with historical, heinous <laughs> villains. <laughs> I mean, who? the person who came up with that is a bit of a genius, really, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Anywhere Nazis shouldn't be, that's a place you don't want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a very thought-provoking piece you've raised there, Scott. I, um, I'm i not sure how I feel about it. I still think I'm torn. Well, that's because the beauty pro- of presume- though, don't you? Exactly. You can remain torn at the end. Yeah, you don't have to take a side. Remarkably painful, though. I'd rather be <laughs> intact at the end of the stroll, if you don't mind. I don't want to ensnare myself on some craggy rock. <laughs> on a craggy rock of chat. Well, we've wandered into that part of the episode, Chris, where we uh, try and wrap things up with a little bit of a lighter story or something else that's caught our eye. Not so light this week, given we're talking topically about uh, suffragettes, really, given it's the centenary of the um, the representation of the People's Act, which endowed women, enfranchised women with Ooh, the right to vote. Nice word. Well, it's the proper word, isn't it? I yeah. realised endowed was not really... Close enough. Oh, what a well-endowed woman. <laughs> it's actually a little bit poor. <laughs> poor choice. Let's gloss over that quickly. Of course, it wasn't every woman who got the right to vote. They, she had to have certain property holdings and be above 30, I think. So it was actually like, pretty rude. <laughs> kind of token concession. All right, just some yeah, of them. Just some of them. The connected ones, yeah, the, I suppose. The, the higher society ones. Yeah. Um, but anyway, good on them. Well done, ladies. Um, and I thought... Let's go with a top five again. It's been a couple of weeks since we had a top five. I present <laughs> to you, Scott, the top five female inventors who received no or scant recognition for their work. Chris, give me a top five. Okay, we're going to start with number five, Mary Anderson. Who's that then? She was a US civilian, I presume, who, invent, who, who invented basically the windscreen wiper when she went to New York and saw that it was snowing and people were leaning out of cars and wiping the snow off the the, the glass, which sounds incredibly dangerous. Posturous situation. I know. Her, her um, invention involved a sort of crank like in, that, that was inside the car and you kind of manually turned it back and forth, which sounds pretty dangerous as well. Like, can't imagine driving, driving through a blizzard with one hand like cranking <laughs> furiously back and forth, getting this snow off your windscreen. You're not going to be focusing too much on the actual road, are you? I suppose the important thing is that she came up with the idea of the actual wiping element, though, rather yeah. than the crank. That yeah. was there to be improved. And this was sort of over 100 years ago, so there's only like two cars on the road anyway. Interesting um, that to, to hear that not many car companies were actually interested. No car they company. She, tried to, for that. she got a patent for it, and she tried to sell it, and no car company was like, no, that's a ludicrous idea. You crazy broad. <laughs> And then the paint expired, and then some other guy just got nab- jumped on it, and in the 40s was finally able to sell it. So she got nothing. Maybe it didn't rain or snow in the intervening years. That's why no one was interested. Yeah. Number four, Rosalind Franklin. You may have heard of her. She's a bit more well-known as um, being instrumental in the discovery of the structure of DNA. Uh, with a student, she discovered that there was two forms of DNA, the dry A form and the wet 
B form. Did Chris, you know DNA was half wet? Chris, I didn't know any of this. this <laughs> Sounds slightly uns- unsettling to me. <laughs> Dry A and wet B. Yeah. Um, so they took some numerous photographs. That must have had a good zoom. And apparently, I assume it was a microscope. Yeah. <laughs> connected to some kind of <laughs> pinhole camera yeah. <laughs> given this was in the 1950s um there was one photograph photo 51 which was basically taken by a colleague and sent to some some mates james watson and francis crick and they got all the credit for for discovering that the structure of dna was a helix number three Lise Meitner, an Austrian uh, physicist. Or, come on, the Austrians. Yeah, come on, the Austrians. There's quite, quite a few Austrians when I was doing this research. Did yeah. you know I'm a quarter Austrian, Chris? Have I told you that before? I, I knew you, I knew you had South African blood in you. I didn't know you had Austrian blood. No, it's not South Africa. It's like South African sort of wind erosion, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely way of putting it. Um, Austrian blood. I think it's interesting that just because you're... Um, say father's Irish and your mother's English you're not 50% Irish it's just completely random how much of the genetic yeah that's an, that's an interesting you, you actually thing. inherit yeah yeah. that just sort of struck me like when you say I'm half Irish no you're not no and I'm <laughs> ne- neither am I a quarter Austrian yeah you just lied to my face yeah I'll, I'll, I'll let you off well, anyway. I have Austrian heritage anyway that's good I should have gone that's a clear that. that's a clear accurate way of saying it oh, sorry I like it Lise Meitner, you'd be a fan of her then. She discovered... I might um, be related to her. You might be. She discovered in the 30s with a fellow chemist, Otter Hahn, nuclear fission, no less. That's she was. She had to flee the country because of those bad zombies that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think she went to Sweden. She ended up in Sweden. So she was communicating via telegram or whatever they used in the 30s with Mr. Hahn. And uh, discovered how to, you know, split the uh, nucleus, basically, uh, which obviously led to nuclear power and then the atom bomb and all those great things. Um, and Han won the Nobel Prize. Meitner received no credit whatsoever. People say it's because she's Jewish, because she was anti-Nazis, whereas Han sort of was, was I wouldn't say pro-Nazi, but he, you know, he, was, he stayed in Germany. So... How could he get up there and accept that prize? I know. I'd be trembling in the legs. I'd be like, I can't do this. horrid man. Yeah. Um, Number two, Ada Lovelace. She was sort of described as a genius mathematician. um, Daughter of Lord Byron. No less. I mean... For starters, what a fantastic name. Ada Ada Lovelace. Lovelace. It's like a... A a fictional character, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, But her mother sort of pushed her towards maths because she was like, don't do literature. Your father's just gone mental with it. So she she was like a genius. And um, in the 1840s, she worked with Charles Babbage on what is commonly regarded as an early model computer called Analytical Engine. And she... So this was Charles Charles Babbage's machine. Let's not get that confused. Mm -hmm. But it was she who posited, allegedly, in a diary that you could instruct this machine to be able to write complex uh, music and be able to solve complex math equations by using letters, numbers, and symbols, Mm. which is generally regarded as the first sort of idea behind computer programming and algorithms. 
Well done, Aiden. So the genesis of computer programming. Pretty impressive. Well, we've brought her to the world's attention now. Yeah. Through She's this finally getting podcast, the recognition she deserves. The deep, deep research, archival research that I had to do to uncover this. Fellow strollers, spread the word. <laughs> Number one. Number one. We've oh, done this must be a good one. DNA, nuclear power, and computer programming. What could be more important than that? Well, I think you should just wrap it up there. I'm going. I'm going to shock you, Scott. Go on. Monopoly. Monopoly. The board game Monopoly is my personal number one. Um, it was patented in uh, sorry, painted in 1904 as the landlord's game by Elizabeth Maggie. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Maggie, who, Maggie, who, de- who designed the landlord's game to discredit capitalism. Mm. So that's that was the genesis. How ironic, hey? Mm. Charles, this fellow called Charles Darrow. There's a couple of Charleses in this, and Charles was clearly name name de jour or nom de jour. <laughs> name de jour. <laughs> he bought he bought the idea for five hundred bucks, and then he sold it to Parker Brothers and made freaking millions. Yeah, so Elizabeth gets no credit whatsoever until it was uncovered a few, quite a few years ago that actually she did have this game. And so now people generally recognise her. But in her lifetime, nada. Well, thanks, ladies. What's Who, your favourite of the five? Well, Elizabeth's my number oh, one. Yeah, you I did the on list. Yeah, What's your favourite? Windscreen wiper. Windscreen wiper. I, think I, win- knew, I knew yours would be the windscreen wiper. Out of all of those five, That's I pretty have much... to think which one do I, have I benefited from the most. <laughs> what, you haven't benefited from the atomic bomb? You're having a laugh, mate. Which brings us smoothly onto this week's Tweet of the Week. Oh, great. Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. This week's is a gem, Scott. You ready for this? Yeah. This uh, first tweet is, 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 is a conversation which was retweeted by uh, a user called Rita at Rewind the Filth. It's a good name. Yeah, and a good idea. And she says, quote, Yorkshire soil makes the best tea. Send help, I'm dying. <laughs> That's the original tweet, right? She then... Oh, I'm fed up with Yorkshire. <laughs> she then retweets a conversation... Um, and the start of it is by a guy called Terry Robinson, who says, in all caps, Good to see Yorkshire tea a fellow patriots. Yorkshire soil makes the best tea. Oh. Union Jack, Union Jack, Union Jack emoji. Yep. So then, he responds to Rita, who says, Yorkshire soil makes the best tea, send help, I'm dying, by saying, What's so funny about that, love? Rita then re- um, replies, simply putting an image... Just putting this out there, love. And the image is taken from Yorkshire Tea's website saying, why is it called Yorkshire Tea? Yorkshire Tea is grown in more than 20 places across Africa and India, then imported to Harrogate and blended. So why is it called Yorkshire Tea? So Terry Robinson, who assumes that Yorkshire Tea is made in Yorkshire, says, absolute b****. (laughs) <laughs> must be must be some of that Photoshop malarkey. If it wasn't from Yorkshire, they wouldn't be allowed to call it Yorkshire tea as it's a form of fraud. <laughs> I, th- I think I've gone steadily south in his... Uh... Yeah, you've not done well with a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pretend to be Yorkshire. He then tweets Yorkshire tea saying, Where is your tea grown? <laughs> Yorkshire tea replies, Africa and India. Here's a thing you can read. And they send him to that same website. 
Terry replies, disgraceful. Why call it Yorkshire tea if it's not grown in Yorkshire? Won't be buying from you again. <laughs> Yorkshire tea replies, sorry, can't hear you. Can you speak up a bit? Again, in all caps. <laughs> and then the final image in this retweet conversation is of Terry Robinson's own profile page showing his latest tweet. Disgusted and appalled. I've been drinking Yorkshire tea all these years thinking it was grown in Britain and then I find out this. Everyone needs to boycott. (laughs) (sighs) Thank you. It's good that, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. Some people think that's a parody account because it's so ridiculous. It is pretty stupid, isn't it? It'd be a shame if it was a parody account (sighs) because I do like that. I like the idea of Terry getting so worked up. Yorkshire, I don't want to have a go. But come on. It's getting a bit much at the moment. You're, oh, come on, you Yorkshire teas and everything. Come on. Come on, guys. I think the only tea that you can grow in the UK is in like Cornwall, isn't it? I've never tried And even then it's it. like pretty tricky, so it's probably really expensive. Um, if he takes this sort of uh, ideology of only buying British to logical extremes, then literally the only things he's going to end up with are military arms and a crap load of bank accounts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's nice. I thought that was quite witty. Yeah, that's witty. So <laughs> only things we're good at. <laughs> that was a stroll in Snowdonia. Any references to strolling or Snowdonia are purely symbolic. Any inference of the host actually moving or physically being in Snowdonia is your error, not ours. For the hard of hearing, we now offer a stroll in Snowdonia in Braille format. To order your copy, contact us at snowdoniapod at gmail.com or snowdonia underscore pod on Twitter. Thanks for listening. That sounded sarcastic. Totally wasn't meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) I am pro-suffrage. I'm pretty pro-suffrage as well. Yeah, just just draw the line under that. Let's make that clear. I don't know if I would have been at the time, but I probably got caught up in it all. Oh, you reckon? Boo, down with women. Yeah, just because it's, yeah, you got your gang mentality. It's easy to look at it, look back on it now, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It was probably for the best, I guess. (laughs)